Welcome to the Global Features Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. In this episode, I sit down with Aidi Hilamanjaya to talk about environmental issues in Indonesia, public opinion in the country, and how the Indonesian president, Joko Widodo, will address these issues. Aidi also explains why moving the capital of Indonesia from Jakarta, on the island of Java, to the province of East Kalimantan, on Borneo, is not a good idea. Aidi is a researcher, consultant, and affiliate at the Pajanjaran University Center for Sustainable Development Goals Studies in Indonesia. She is currently working as an advisor on climate finance for Indonesia's Ministry of Environment and Forestry. She was also a GGF 2030 fellow. Welcome, Adi, to the Global Futures Podcast, and uh, we're delighted to have you here in uh, Berlin and in this wonderful Robert Bosch Stiftung building in uh, in Berlin. Um, yeah, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, it's my pleasure and to share the um, knowledge and expertise I have. Well, let me start off with one of the perhaps more obvious questions. You're an economist working in the area of international public finance. Tell our listeners a little bit more about what exactly it is that you do. Um, so, yeah, basically, I'm research consultant, uh, and my uh, focus is on environment finance, and I'm focusing and supporting uh, policymakers in developing policy options uh, back in Indonesia regarding how they respond to uh, environmental issues. Uh, and especially, uh, I'm focusing more on the analysis of, for example, fiscal policies um, uh, for protecting the environment. You are probably very aware of the Global Assessment Report on Biodiversity and Ecosystems um, from the UN. And that report states that because Indonesia is, is a well-known country for palm oil and a lot of resources, but there's also a big issue of deforestation, um, dramatic measures will need to be taken if uh, the next Indonesian president wants to address these issues. Um, how much of this was in the election campaign, the issue of environmental security? I can say it's very limited. So there is uh, an open debate uh, between two uh, presidential candidates back uh, three months ago, uh, touch upon these issues. Uh, and there are more discussion about um, energy, clean energy, uh, compared to more, let's say, um, forest-related uh, issues. So uh, in terms of biodiversity protection and the laws and also the payment for ecosystem services, they are very, very uh, overlooked. And even the policies currently are not very uh, in favor of those two to be implemented. Um, so I uh, would be sincerely see it's it's very it's very difficult to uh, let's say say that both uh, candidates or one of the candidates is um, basically uh, care care enough about uh, biodiversity. So I think. There, there is a lot of campaign need to be done to make sure they're actually aware of this in economic terms, how uh, this will impact Indonesia in the future. Very briefly, is, is biodiversity, or let's make it even simple, uh, the issue of the environment, is this something Indonesians talk to each other, either on the street or across dinner in their homes? No, there are very little uh, awareness 
and only very few uh, partial groups are talking about this and very elitist. Why do you think this is the case? I guess because uh, there are more popular, uh, other more popular issues that divert people's attention and uh, environmental issues uh, are seen as uh, distant from uh, people in the cities. What are the other important issues? Because I think environment is just so incredibly in your face when you go to, you know, Jakarta or other places. What, what What's taking up the attention for the For people? example, um, media plays a big role in this, right? And um, let's say even Palu tsunami, for example, is not uh, somehow discussed uh, in relation to environmental treatment of Indonesian and relate uh, relate uh, the discussion does not relate that to how actually environmental policies is developed but it's more toward like the grief and the people uh, difficulties on the ground and how basically uh, emotional situation on the ground rather than the causal impact analysis of why this is happening and how can make what measures uh, that can basically mitigate the risk for example so and the other on the other uh, example sometimes like very uh, generic election uh, euphoria can actually just m- take away all the attention uh, of the people uh, on very important matters such as like what's happening actually uh, in many of the villages in Indonesia which doesn't have more trees or like they're actually the the tenure rights are taken uh, by the companies and the overlapping uh, boundaries of actually villages with the concessions and there are so many actually issues uh, that are not uh, discussed in the public or in the media because the media is also not really interested and maybe not getting enough uh, attention by the audience if they're publishing this, for example. I'll come back to the issue of uh, the current, uh, the recent public, uh, sorry, the recent presidential elections uh, in a moment, but it still fascinates me that you said the environment takes up such a small amount of people's attention because a few months ago, the BBC came out with a report um, that showed the issue of plastics and plastic waste is a tremendous challenge for a city like Jakarta, where you have canals and river streams, and they are clogged. They're literally, you can walk across what uh, a small waterbed on plastic, to the point where the government had to bring in the army to help remove these plastics. It's in people's faces. Are they not upset about this, or... Are they just willing to to accept it because there are other more burning issues in people's lives, other priorities? Um, I think I, I pardon that. This is my personal view. Uh, I think most of Indonesians play ignorant uh, game, so and also blaming game. That uh, oh yeah, it's because the government is not good in managing um, waste, and also the fact that the most of companies do not have a safeguard in place and they don't actually follow the regulation. So I think most of Indonesian are quite adaptive in the sense that it's quite negative actually. So whatever like the, the, the smells or the uh, floods they're experiencing, they're kind of see, oh yeah, it's a routine uh, things that happen to us. So we just adapt to it rather than we change uh, the, the behavior so that it doesn't, it, these things do not affect us. 
it's just a personal opinion, but I think uh, like for Jakarta people who are experiencing flood every year and also the fact that there is now a growing attention to plastic because of their a lot of media attention in uh, social media, especially uh, from uh, and also pressure from international um, community saying that, oh, yeah, Indonesia is the second largest plastic producers um, dumping on the sea. So there are already policies in place now uh, emphasizing on this. But then when you talk to people, let's say in the supermarket, the way they treat plastics are sometimes not changing at all. Although they're already like in this incentive uh, putting price on plastic. But let's say if you ask um, to put some groceries, different groceries in one plastic, they kind of still avoid it. So the election results were released yesterday in Indonesia, and there was the victory for the incumbent president, Joko Widodo. And both him and his challenger, uh, help me with the name here, because I'm not, I don't speak uh, Bahasa, or I should say Bahasa Indonesia, I'm a little ignorant there, uh, Prabowo uh, Subianto. Perfect. Uh, thank you. <laughs> they were both heavily funded by donations that are linked to mining and the palm oil industry. How are they going to be able to address issues of environmental security while they are trying to do that on one hand and still taking donations from these companies on the other hand? I think on top of that, the parliaments also um, in different levels, because Indonesia is one of the most complex multi-level governance uh, institution. So the provincial government, the governors, the district level uh, leaders, and also the parliaments in the in these uh, levels are also fueled by mining and palm oil um, regeneration uh, money for their election. So I think the narrative is that they are over-promising, basically, saying that, okay, uh, we will try to make sure the targets uh, for mitigation or for emission reduction is met from the forestry sector. But actually, in terms of implementation on the ground, let's say one measure that they try to uh, implement is through social forestry scheme. Uh, so basically, it gives the rights back to the community to manage the forest. It's basically one of the idea of protecting the forest from this concession or just to make sure what is left already uh, outside of the concession uh, will be kept. But I think it's very early now to say that this is effective or this is like the way out. While actually the private sector practices uh, and the unsustainable practices are not monitored very well. So yeah, I think it can be leading to um, basically a conflicting uh, between what they promise and what can we see in the next five years. What role would you say is ideal for the public sector, or sorry, the private sector to play in a country like Indonesia, where environmental issues are existential, um, yet it's a market-driven economy, it's a democracy, so people do have influence? So if you're asking about the role, of course, like they... Uh, in 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 many ways but uh one of the uh, most important ones uh is uh to trace their uh supply chain basically so if they're care enough if they have the commitment uh they can start um looking at the options whether the products or the commodities they use are uh, come from sustainable pathways or not uh, and there are many initiatives currently already available but again it's again 
whether they want to use this as a marketing campaign or it's just like green labeling, it doesn't matter as long as you're doing it right or if you have that um, right willingness to actually uh, make sure what you source is sustainable. So I think that's one of the uh, potential roles. So I think the other one is like openness to basically say uh, where you are actually sourcing it. And um, I think that they're already growing interest in this and some global initiatives like RSPO in palm oil, F FSC. Um, FSC being? It's a four-star console. So it's, it's basically trying to make sure that the pulp and paper, let's say companies, uh, meet the certain standard um, of their operation on the ground. So including safeguards and community um, grievance mechanism, etc. So I think that that are quite intensive already, but it doesn't mean that compliance is uh, 100%. Sometimes like they say something on the paper, but on the ground, it can be different things. So <laughs> I think this is also a matter of trust and also a matter of um, uh, saying it uh, bluntly or or doing it um, correctly so yeah I mean like the private sector can have a choice but uh, I think if you're if you're asking about what other role of course there there are many others like the CSR but it's it depends on the willingness right I guess I should tell our listeners I'm smirking here and uh, smiling and the reason is because you said some keywords that reminded me of my time in Jakarta you said say it bluntly say it as it is um, and use the word trust. Now, when I was in Jakarta, I remember very clearly um, people that I interacted with, the locals, were very polite, very caring people. They were everything but blunt. They were not used to that. I think it's a cultural thing, and I can respect that. And I was just thinking to myself, how well would they take criticism from uh, NGOs? Because you also mentioned NGOs and uh, the civil society sector, which is crucial to... to get things right for our environment, get things right for the only planet we have. Um, and sometimes you have to hear, as Al Gore put it a long time ago in his book, the un inconvenient truth. Mm -hmm. how, how do you see that? Because you obviously uh, have traveled a lot and you're super exposed to the international scene. You have no qualms about speaking truth to the word, truth to the person. But that's not everyone in, uh, in Indonesia. <laughs> You're right. So uh, I think Indonesian uh, are not <clears throat> uh, particularly good to say no. <laughs> and also uh, they always just uh, trying to get around if they're disagreement. So sometimes uh, disagreement can be expressed uh, from my experience through just an informal discussion rather than a formal one. So sometimes like um, you cannot say directly in front of the person, but you, um, I, I use many times this strategy of talking to who this person listened to most or this uh, institution listened to most. So through directly, indirectly talk to the people who are there listening to as their senior, because seniority is very big thing in Indonesia. It's quite effective. So I think we just, I just personally need to get around things. And that's, I think I advise to many people not to blame or naming because that does, it's not in, it's not effective in Indonesia. Uh, and so, I mean, shaming, naming is effective. So uh, appreciation and also reward uh, in front of public 
it's very very um regarded as uh valuable by many people so Uh, instead of saying, "Oh, this is not good. Uh, you're you need to do this," it's it it would be better to let's say appreciate what they have done, and then like if you have some input, you kind of talk to the right channel through which these people or institution listen to. Great, our listeners are getting some intercultural business tips as well <laughs> from you. So this is two birds with one stone. I want to go back to um, one of our first questions, which was this report, the Global Assessment Report on Biodiversity and uh, Ecosystem Services. Um, now, do you think, now that we know that President uh, Widodo is back, do you think he'll be able to put into place measures that will address biodiversity issues in Indonesia? I think... To put policy is easy, but the implementation is difficult. And also the fact that uh, there is already some biodiversity protection policy, um, although maybe it's not operationalized. Um, I can say that his attention will not be that uh, because he also raised the issue of um, basically it's quite conflicting with biodiversity protection because he wants to move the capital to Borneo, which has a lot of basically uh, protected uh, um, yeah protected animals yeah. that we want to see in the next hundred years maybe you can just say a word why that decision came or why that interest of shifting capitals from Jakarta to Borneo came about maybe not all listeners know uh, this agenda has been there for uh, many um, presidential um, terms but I think there are some growing attention uh, in terms of um, Javanese centric and also uh, the fact that uh, Java is overpopulated, so I think the 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 narratives uh it's growing toward that. But they're trying to basically uh, assess uh what is the feasibility of moving to Borneo, uh, although there are other options basically uh in Java in other uh other area greater area of Jakarta. Um, but that doesn't basically doesn't uh, respond to the narrative of Javanese centric and also overpopulation of Java. So they are looking for uh, alternatives, either Borneo, Sumatra, or uh, Sulawesi. But seems Jokowi is very keen to move to Borneo. I don't know why. And Borneo is some is basically a, a home of peatland, which is very unstable um, land. And also the fact that... Um, What makes it unstable? Because it's a dome. So it's basically, uh, it uh, contains water, a lot of water. So it's not mineral soil. So basically uh, on top of the land, uh, from the, the above, you can just see the surface, but actually below it, it's a lot of um, or, um, organic matters and water. So... There are a lot of uh, practices of the uh, palm oil companies to drain this um, uh, this this peatland, so then they can plant the trees or the, the the palm oil trees, and that drives the fire. So when it's dry, it's easily burned. So yeah, I mean, like moving it there, moving the capital in in the middle of this peatland is not it. It doesn't sound like environmentally sound, and it's conflicting with the biodiversity protection, in in my opinion. Well, now that you mentioned that, it reminds me of this um, Our Planet documentary with uh, Sir David Attenborough, where he narrates 
um, and he talks about Indonesia and the orangutans. And I remember the final scene was, I, I'm not sure which island it was, but the final scene basically zooms out from the orangutan's natural habitat. And what you see from the bird's eye view is where the uh, forest for the orangutan ends. And there's a clear, um, you, can't, you can't mistake in it, a huge palm, uh, palm tree forest that grows at the edge of this forest. And you can see the encroachment of the palm trees into the orangutan's natural habitat. And it's quite shocking and stunning and touching as well. I wonder how you would feel when you, if I were to show you this image, just the imagination. I mean, what, what goes through your mind when you see that? It's just full of grief. I mean, it's, it's very hot there. I was there in Sumatra. I can imagine like it's the same in, in Borneo too. When you hit the boundary of you see in front of your eyes endless palm oil, it's not very comfortable. <laughs> That's one thing. Can you imagine like for the, the, the orangutan to live there um, and disturbed by the activities uh, that their home are just disappear? So it's very, very sad. Um, I kind of not very uh, uh, feel I didn't feel that when I was uh, not working in the environment or maybe just working behind the computers uh, before I was going really to the field because uh, as the economist, I I just started, went to the field uh, by 2016. So before that, I didn't see what's really uh, happening in the forestry sector, just like on paper. But since then, I, I kind of believe, oh, uh, there should be, a significant or revolution in the way uh, of uh, economy is uh, driven or it's managed because otherwise this will be gone. Like what we have uh, in Sumatra, in Kalimantan, I think it will be uh, reduced to the level of uh, only uh, several um, protected areas for forest national park, but not more than that. So it will be just uh, maybe in the next 100 years, if we continue this uh, economic pathway business as usual, we will just uh, basically go for tourism to a certain uh, uh, national park. And that's it. I mean, that's the home of orangutan in the next 100 years. That's what I believe. Well, I hope that will not be the case. Let me come back to our very first question and connect that to your country, So, which is basically your work, which focuses on uh, you contribute to the World Bank's climate finance work streams, and you try to make climate financial allocation more transparent in your home country, Indonesia. Does the future president, which we now know is uh, Joko Widodo, do you think he has the interest in increasing relevance of climate finance in your country? The previous or the past uh, shows, the data shows that after forest fire, the finance or the budget increase uh, a lot for, for forest fire protection uh, in 2016. And it significantly decreased again in 2017. So the approach seems very short term. Um, there is no such an urgency uh, or um, indication that this is taken seriously. Um, and it's also because a lot of pressure in 2015, 2016 uh, from the fact that it's affecting Singapore and Singapore companies uh, start 
or Singapore start having appeal because of the fact that uh, some companies operating in Sumatra are penalized because of the forest fire. So it creates a lot of issues. So then the government um, focusing more and give some more money to protect the forest. But in terms of uh, the future, I I don't see um, there is a kind of enough interest from the government to put more money on this if they want to move the capital to Kalimantan because it requires such a lot of resources uh, to build from scratch a capital city plus also the fact that renewable energy and all other uh, measures to mitigate climate change or to meet Indonesia promise to the Paris Agreement it's not there. I mean, uh, the government tried to demonstrate and showcase that actually, oh yeah, we are able to build a mega 75 megawatt, um, let's say wind power, uh, geothermal, but in terms of the potential and the action is very much a big gap. So there is no significant change in how we actually invest um, into m- uh, moving from business as usual to low carbon, say like low carbon development. I would have a few more questions to ask you on that, but uh, we're coming to the end of our time. And I want to go back to one of the things that really amazed me in Sao Paulo when um, you, uh, Siska and Liana, our three Indonesian fellows, presented your country. And I remember vividly the pictures uh, from weddings uh, in the, in uh, Indonesia and other ceremonies and the connection, the link between people and the environment was very obvious. I remember the wooden trees, the use of wood, uh, the use of uh, natural um, uh, elements plays a very big role in Indonesian culture. And I want to end on the note uh, on this question. How could Indonesia and Indonesians, what would be your wish for Indonesians to to remember to think of when they when they think when you think of your country, its people, and the environment? Um, yeah, it's a very interesting question. <laughs> it's a reflection question too. I think the values um, that a new generation need to have need to reflect from the previous ones which are quite strong actually in terms of connection between people environment and um the the god so indonesia is quite it's very religious country um and in many in many different culture across indonesia this is quite strong let's say for example when um i talk uh, and i i live in bali so i i talk to some um religious leaders or just normal people they are very much connected to this idea of trihita karana which is the connection between god's nature and the people could you say that one more time trihita karana so it connects between the how you basically behave as a human, uh, treating the environment, and also uh, you basically are in relationship with the God, and the God also kind of um, gives you nature. So I think it's there. It's just not exercised uh, and communicated in a daily manner, maybe, or maybe in a, in a more city generation or city life. People, they're not very co- uh, commonly hearing this or not being part of their um, lifestyle. So uh, there are more now growing um, movements among youth to understand this better. Uh, But 
uh, I kind of see this movement is uh, from outside of Indonesia. Well, actually, uh, from the inner culture of where they belong, actually already emphasizing that. So I think there there should be a returning back to uh, the wisdom of the previous generation and how they treat the nature and how uh, they see nature as part of their lives. Well, I very much hope your words reach the ears of so many people in your country. Adi, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we know you have an incredibly busy schedule, uh, um, but thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much. This episode of the Global Futures Podcast was presented by me, Joel Sandu, and produced by my colleague, Sonia Sugobova, with support from Evan Yoshimoto from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest today was Aidi Hilamanjaya. For a full list of Global Governance Futures products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts, visit ggfutures.net forward slash analysis.